Hey, my name is Ponzi, and I'm a producer on The Big Listen. Thanks for listening. Did you know more than 40 million Americans speak Spanish and millions more are learning? For all of you, I'd like to recommend NPR's Radio Ambulante. It's the podcast to hear incredible stories from all over Latin America and across the U.S. Hosted by novelist Daniel Alarcón, Radio Ambulante covers the region like no one else, reporting and storytelling in Espanol. Radio Ambulante is on NPR One or wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2004, a Swedish man named Kai Lina was sentenced to life in prison. His alleged crime? A botched robbery of two brothers in rural northern Sweden that ended in a murder. Two elderly brothers lived alone and suddenly they got a visitor or maybe two. That's Swedish journalist Anton Berg. The word was out that these guys had a lot of money. The story he's telling might sound a bit Nordic noir, but it's true. And in 2015, Anton and fellow journalist Martin Johnson tried to determine whether the man sitting in prison for the murder, Kai Lina, was actually the right guy. The pair documented their investigation in a podcast called... Okay, here it comes. Yeah. Spore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Repeat after me. Spore. Spore. Raw. Good. <laughs> exactly. The True Crime Podcast is indeed called Spur, which translates into tracks. In Swedish, that's another term for evidence. And Spur is spelled S-P-A-R with one of those cute little circles over the A. It takes its inspiration from another little show you might have heard of. This is a global Serial made an impact uh, here in Sweden as well. So me and Martin said to each other, OK, let's take this up a notch. Uh, let's make this... These documentaries that we've all both been doing for the Swedish radio, let's mix them with Serial and, and see what we find. And what they found was Kai Lina's case. Den livstidsdömde Kai Lina, han... It was a case that made national headlines for its brutality, but also for the fact that the evidence didn't really point to Lina. Lina spent years in prison before Anton and Martin began investigating the case. But their investigation and the podcast they made about it ultimately changed Lina's life. Kailina and his lawyer, they used material from our show when they made the appeal to the Supreme Court. So they made five of, our, of Sweden's highest judges listen to our podcast. <laughs> that was a victory. <laughs> and, and, and it made impact. I'm Lauren Ober from WAMU and NPR. This is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Now, listeners of the first season of Serial might remember the disappointment that came with the realization that the host, Sarah Koenig, wasn't actually going to determine who killed Heyman Lee. So you don't really have, if you don't mind me asking, you don't really have no ending? I mean, do I have an ending? <laughs> but with the Swedish podcast, Spur, the resolution is very satisfying. During the course of their reporting, Martin and Anton uncovered a crucial new piece of evidence. And as a result, Kai Lina, who ultimately spent 13 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, was exonerated. He's the person who has been in prison for the longest time in Sweden and then considered uh, uh, innocent. So 13 years in Sweden is a very long time. We're going to hear more from Anton and Martin in a bit about just how their podcast helped Lina prove his innocence. 
But first, we're going to shift from solving crimes to solving your life. Sweet transition, Lauren. If you've ever ventured down the aisles of your local bookstore, you'll know that there are about a million self-help titles. The Power of Now, The Magic of Thinking Big, and The War of Art, to name a few. But if you're like me, you don't know anyone who actually admits to reading any of them, except the hosts of the new podcast, By the Book. In By the Book, we try to fix our messed up lives. Speak for yourself. Okay, we try to fix my messed up life with a different self-help book in each episode. And I'm just here to make sure you don't go off the rails, Jolenta. Very true. Along the way, we follow each book religiously, down to the letter, living by their rules. You should just drive. I'm going to do it. I'm going to manifest it. Applying their idiotic suggestions. Do you have to smile that hard? I do. I just need to feel it. And practicing their prescribed rituals. I am health. I am wealth. By the Book is hosted by pals Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinzer. Jolenta is a struggling comedian who can't quite seem to get it together. Kristen is a working professional with a healthy 401k plan, and both are delightful. Jolenta and Kristen, welcome to The Big Listen. Hey, Lauren. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh, well, thank you for reading all the self-help books so I don't have to. (laughs) It's our pleasure. From where I sit, your project sounds like a terrible idea for an individual to do. But why did you guys want to embark on this particular challenge? That's definitely my fault. Um, (laughs) That's Jolenta's fault, everyone. I'm a mess by trade, I guess. I'm I'm a comedian. I have lots of part-time jobs. I've just always been a mess. And a few years ago, things were extra messy. I was miserable. And I was like, what would happen if I just lived by different self-help books? And then I wrote my friend Kristen into it because she's a responsible adult and like can kind of help keep me balanced. But Kristen, if you're a responsible adult who doesn't need self-help books, why did you say yes to this? Oh, I don't need these dumb books. But I love Jolenta <laughs> so much. And also, I mean, quite frankly, I don't like Jolenta going over the edge. I don't want her to join a cult. I don't want her to start living by the rules of crystals or consulting horoscopes before she goes to the grocery store. These things I'm are, impressionable. They, these things are potential risks with you. And and also I thought maybe some of it will be fun. Little did I know, none of it would be. It, you secretly love it. <laughs> I kind of love it. Yeah, I do. Yeah. What are the most popular themes that you guys have, have discovered in, in the self-help genre? Definitely visualization is a huge thing, which is something I never gave any thought to until reading these books. But I'm pretty sure every book we've read has touched on, like, visualize yourself here or there or this kind of life or with that money. Like, lots of what I would just call daydreaming about the life you want. (laughs) I would agree that that seems to be in every book. They want you to visualize the life you want. You should just drive. I'm going to do it. I'm going to manifest it. Here. See, I'm moving my hand. The slow car is moving into the slow lane. No, 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 you're laughing at me. I'm totally going to do it. I'm totally going to do it. Look, infinity, QR, whatever that car is, you're going to move to the right lane. I'm doing the Tai Chi move. It wants to do it. Oh, my God, there it goes. There it goes. Ah! It's going! It's going! 
right. You did it. See ya, so sucker. sucker. <laughs> you guys said that visualization was uh, a point that kept coming up, and I liked it. You guys read The Secret, and The Secret, um, from your perspective, seemed to be all about visualizing all of the amazing things that can happen to you, and then um, pairing that with like a, an actual vision board, like a physical thing. Um, when you're doing this, did you feel like, I cannot believe I'm I'm doing this right now. Like, no, like the, I feel like I'm doing an arts and crafts project. Totally. Was, did, totally. was it very much out of your comfort zones or no? I mean, for me, and I'm more gung-ho about this stuff, I still find it embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing to invite people over and have them see your vision board up on your door. <laughs> It's embar- it's embarrassing to like say what you care about and what you want, really. It's difficult and it's vulnerable and it's embarrassing and you know, I would hide my vision board when I had friends come over. Uh-huh. Yeah, and but I but I do want to say something jumping off of what you just said, Jolenta, as far as being vulnerable and that being embarrassing. I think that one thing we do try to do in our show is not hide how we're vulnerable and as much as I roll my eyes at a lot of these books, I do try my best, and I know Jolenta tries her best, to be very authentic and to tell the truth. And mm. that includes showing our fights with our husbands. There's Just crying. Lots of crying. There's so, so much crying. crying. There, there are a lot of things we try to put out there because we know that self-help books are frequently mocked and that uh, they get made fun of. But as much as we all can see the faults in them, there is something really admirable about people trying to help themselves. Yeah. and. Putting, putting their pain out there and putting the things out there that they want fixed. Even if it involves making a collage. <laughs> well, I liked making the collage, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kristen, on that point, speaking of vulnerability, um, there was a point in your episode where, where you guys are talking about the life-changing magic of tidying up by Marie Kondo. You basically, your goal in sort of doing all this and in tidying up and getting rid of things that didn't bring you joy, it was to integrate all of your things more with your husband's things because you had moved into his house and ultimately you felt maybe like you were not um, in a very shared space. Okay, honey, it's time for us to visualize the life that we want to have after the tidying. Don't I just want the same life with less stuff on the floor? No, that's not allowed. You have to have a bigger grand vision. Something that motivates the tidying in a bigger way. Okay. I've been thinking about it. And I think the life I would like is one where all of our stuff is more integrated into a shared marital household. Because I moved into your yeah, house. Yeah, that's right. That's then, right. So you and, fit your stuff sort of around my stuff. And yeah, no, I, I yeah, can yeah. see that. No, okay, so we have to take it to the next step now. Say, why? Why do you want that future? Yeah, honey, why do you want that future? But why? So that we can be more happily married. But why? So that we can be more happy. And that is the answer. She says when you get to the point where the answer is to be happy, then you are ready. I thought that was a really lovely, sincere moment. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, I have to confess that I wasn't totally sure about putting that out there, but I think that opened the floodgates to me being more and more open as we went along with these things. And when Jolenta and I said earlier, there are tears, 
it's not just Jolenta crying in future episodes. There's a lot of me crying too. I just want to warn you. I feel like Jolenta has cried. I feel like Jolenta has cried in every episode at some point. It's just like, like I just imagine you collapsing on the floor, like in a puddle, and then your husband, (laughs) your husband is like petting your head or something. It's going to be okay. Right, like everything's going to be fine. Like you're not a total disaster. You know, you can do it. <laughs> it's it's very Our husbands sweet. have just been champs throughout all well, of this. Yeah, so I mean it definitely uh, you have very understanding husbands who are willing to play along um in this experiment. So how has it impacted you guys? It's opened up a lot of conversations that we normally wouldn't have. Uh, during tidying up, my husband talked about how he was afraid I was, like, going to become a hoarder because my grandma was one. And I was like, wow, I had no idea you worried about that. Also, I'm insulted. Uh, you know? So there's some fun, good conversations that happen and also lots of weird, annoying ones. I want to warn you that whenever you talk to me or to other people in the future about this project... You saying, just grow up, just live, like, you just got to live like a grown-up, you know, based on this thing that you have lived approximately zero minutes of your life, it's going to come off as really patronizing. It's coming off as patronizing to me right now, and if you go, and I'm with you all the time, so if you go into the outside world and start spouting off about how, you just got to free yourself, you know, like, just grow, like, we always have to grow up and stop living like rat people. They'll go, shut up. Let me live my life and stop proselytizing to me about something you've never done. Oh my God. Holy smoky. I've never heard Brad that intense before. I oh my know. God. I was wondering when you're reading these books, what are you thinking about the authors of these books? Are are you are you considering them at all? Are you wondering like, who are you and how did you come up with this system? Oh, absolutely. Oh, the authors yeah. are fascinating. Yeah. I the more we get into self-help books, the more I get into these authors cuz they they're I mean obsessive. They're such extreme people. They've made a like weird niche category of self-help their life's work, whether it's tidying or visualizing the life you want or telling memorizing stuff yeah, telling or... people what French women eat. Like they've all become specialists in these weird niche areas. And that makes them very interesting people, I find. If you were each, and and maybe this is an impossibility, but if you were each to name your own self-help book, what would the title of your own self-help book be? Mm. Mine would be Crying Your Way to Greatness. (laughs) By Jolenta That's Jolenta. Yeah. (laughs) Crying Your Way to Greatness. Okay. Kristen, do you have a self-help title for your your personal self-help book that you'll be writing? Uh, what would Nana do? And by that, I mean my grandmother, who I reference in a few different episodes, Nana, who was famously a part of the Richfield Mother Singers, uh, a choral group in Minnesota. <laughs> the Mother Singers? Um, Nana taught me all sorts of things that I try to live my life by every single day, whether it's reusing tea bags a hundred times or... <laughs> Being economical, buying things secondhand, and the number one lesson she always taught me was quoting Abe Lincoln, which I do sometimes in the show, most folks are just about as happy as they make up their minds to be. We should make up our minds to be happy. Oh, my. See, that is the problem is that you're too well adjusted for all of this. But that's why I need her. (laughs) (laughs) 
Jolenta Greenberg and Kristen Meinzer are the hosts of Buy the Book from Panoply. To find out more about their show, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our Scandinavian investigative duo from the top of the show? Martin Johnson and Anton Berg host the Swedish language podcast, Spur, and with their help, a man named Kailina, who had been wrongfully accused of murder, was set free. The pair had been hunting around for a case to dive into when this one landed on their desks. Kailina's conviction rested on some very flimsy evidence. Because all the technical evidence during the entire trials over a few years uh, they just fell apart. So eventually it was just that testimony from a witness saying, I know who did it, and it was Kailina. So Martin and Anton set off to find this man and interview him. We met th- this witness, and we did a, a very special recording with him. We uh, we had two recorders. I had one recorder, and Anton had one recorder. And we agreed before we went into the interview, let, let's keep both microphones on if you ask Anton to turn his off, because Anton was doing the main interview. And eventually he did that. He did exactly that. He said, I can't talk with this with the microphone on. So Anton turned off his recorder, but Martin left his running. In Sweden, this is perfectly legal. While the witness was being surreptitiously recorded, he contradicted his previous testimony. Basically, he had lied to the court about Kailina's involvement in the crime. What he said there was eventually another uh, story that the court had never heard. And so suddenly his testimony was worth nothing. And that one recording used in the pair's podcast, Spur, set in motion a series of events that led to a retrial and ultimately to Kailina's release from prison. The first thing Lina wanted to do after he was exonerated? Go swimming with his sons. And Martin and Anton were there to capture it. We're going to take a quick break now, but stick with us because later we'll hear from the women behind Invisibilia about the connection between concepts like implicit bias and medical conditions like alien hand syndrome. Implicit bias are kind of thoughts and concepts in your head that you don't want there. It feels like science fiction, the idea that you have thoughts in your head that are making you behave and do things that you actually don't want and don't approve of. And so the alien hand, which is a real syndrome, is a kind of physical, literal manifestation of that science fiction horror idea. But first, we're going to explore the world of the radio novella with the creator of the bilingual podcast, Celestial Blood. I just thought, well, if I'm going to create something for Hispanics, I think something that people would probably like, it would be like a version of a telenovela because it's something already that, you know, this population enjoys. That's coming up next. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from thinkaboutyoureyes.com. Did you know that your eyes are windows to your soul and your body's health? In fact, a yearly comprehensive eye exam could detect early signs of serious health issues like diabetes, heart disease, and even the possibility of stroke early enough for you to seek treatment. Be sure to visit your eye doctor every year and you might just save more than your vision. Find an eye doctor near you at thinkaboutyoureyes.com. My name is Maxine Shore. I live in East Windsor, New Jersey, and my favorite podcast is Sandy Klein's show, Conversations with Creative Women. And the reason why I like it is because women generally don't get a voice, and Sandy interviews 
well-known women, women who are not that well-known, flying under the radar, but who are very creative, have interesting takes, and they talk about how they got started in their professions, and it's, it's a wonderful show with a lot of variety in it. A year after its founding, you get connected to the National Museum of Women in the Arts. Did you feel that that was a natural fit? I felt it was an opportunity. Uh-huh. I also felt strangely unqualified for the position. <laughs> so I really recommend it. Take a listen. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I think you should take after Maxine from New Jersey and give us a jingle. Let us know what you're listening to. The pod line is 202-885-POD1, so get to dialing. Ever since the 1950s, Latin countries have broadcast telenovelas, basically soap operas in Spanish or Portuguese. They cover everything from sex and drug cartels to cops and casinos, like Queen of Hearts from Telemundo. Tú nunca quisiste mi padre. Es cierto. No lo quería. Y me alegra muchísimo que se haya muerto. But before there were telenovelas, there were radio novelas. And now one radio producer is trying to put a modern touch on the genre with the bilingual radio novella Celestial Blood. This is Celestial Blood, a radio novella about love and mystery that crosses borders. Created by producer Giseli Regatao in New York and KCRW Public Radio in Los Angeles. The podcast has two versions, one in English and one in Spanish, and both are narrated by Mexican telenovela actress Kate Del Castillo. Había una vez un hombre con el nombre de Arturo Lucero. Y digo había porque, bueno, Arturo Lucero... Giseli Regatao, creator of Celestial Blood, or Sangre Celestial in Spanish, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much, Lauren. So why did you want to make a, a radio novella, and is it, were you sort of inspired by the fact that there are a lot of um, uh, fiction podcasts out there now? Yeah, now I am a journalist. All mm -hmm. my work so far had been nonfiction, had right. been journalism. And I, I just thought, well, if I'm going to create something for Hispanics, I think something that people would probably like, it would be like a version of a telenovela because mm -hmm. it's something already that, you know, this population enjoys. Mm -hmm. So, but for me, of course, it was a risk. I had never done this before. Right. <laughs> I never produced, it's kind of producing audio theater. I had never yeah. done that in my life. I had never worked with actors and, uh, you know, I just decided to do it. And yeah. Thankfully, it worked out. Yeah, and then there's also um, a bilingual version. It's not that it's not that it's um, you know sort of half in Spanish, half in English. Like you basically have two separate shows yes. with the same storyline in two different languages. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of here. It's a pity you don't want to spend time with your family. <laughs> Our apologies, Mrs. Linda, but we're in so much pain. We needed a moment alone. <sighs> Mundo. 
the project started as Spanish. I wanted to do only in Spanish. Mm -hmm. But then I approached KCRW and asked them if they would be interested in, in participating, in producing this with me. And mm -hmm. they said yes. And when they said yes, I was like, wait a minute. If I have KCRW on board, I don't want to kind of miss their audience. Right. So I proposed <laughs> to Jennifer Farrow, the president of KCRW, and I asked her, what, what do you think if we produce in both languages? Yeah. So you have, we have both audiences. And she's like, I, I love that. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. And all my actors are bilingual. Mm -hmm. You know, the playwright is bilingual. She's Mexican-American. So everybody did everything in both languages, mm -hmm. which is quite incredible. It, it is. It's a, it seems like a really heavy lift, too, for the, yes. the, for the actors, for sure. And it was very interesting. You know, we had the text in Spanish and English. The playwright translated herself. And as we rehearsed, we often would make changes because our actors are from different countries. We had Argentina, Peru, Mexico, Uruguay, Spain represented, and uh -huh. Brazil. Sometimes it would be like, oh, this works in English, but the Spanish version is a little weird. Let's change it. Right, right. <laughs> so it was actually very interesting. Also, it's kind of, we try to be, you know, use terms that will be understandable for everybody in Latin America, which is, can be quite a challenge. Yeah, no, that's what I was wondering is, is if you have, if you have actors who are native Spanish speakers, but from many different countries, then you end up with a lot of different dialects, I'm guessing. Yeah, we would always try to find commonalities. Some actor would be like, I've never heard this expression. We would be like, okay, we have to change it. <laughs> we have to, what, what would you understand as like, what's the equivalent? So we would like find a consensus yeah. in the group. So it was definitely like a process like that. Yeah. Do me a favor and lay out this storyline of Celestial Blood for us. It's a very uh, funny and a little absurd story. Um, I would say maybe it's a little also inspired by the um, literature in Latin America, which can be so rich and surreal sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a story of these two siblings. Their um, names are Sol and Mundo, which means the sun and the earth. And they go to Mexico to attend their dad's Arturo funeral. And it's a dad that they haven't seen in many years. My dearest twins, Sol and Mundo. Mundo and Sol, I know this is going to be like a bucket of ice water, but you are not the only ones. You have some fantastic brothers and sisters scattered around. Nine total. Well, eleven with the two of you. If life gave me something valuable, it was the opportunity to travel and procreate. Nothing would make me happier in this life, or in the celestial one, than for you to one day meet your brothers and sisters. Celestial life? You really think he's in heaven? Maybe. Mm, maybe not. It's hot in here! <laughs> this is only the beginning. Sol and Mundo fly all over the world basically to find these siblings and I thought that was interesting um, why you chose to to put people uh, or put these characters all over the place. Yeah, that was uh, Mariana Carreño King's uh, idea. She's the playwright. But we did talk about like we want something that is not about, Me even though she's Mexican, we mm -hmm. didn't want an, like a Mexican story. We mm -hmm. didn't want like a New York story. We mm -hmm. wanted a story that would be a story that you know, a lot of people could relate to. Mm -hmm. And the funny part is 
all of us in the cast are from different countries. Mm-hmm. So we all actually have very different experiences. And some of us from several countries or from mom and dad from different countries and then are living here in different places. So I think that was the idea, like this pan-American experience mm-hmm. that we would try to connect with different people, different places, and create like people, characters from, you know, definitely different identities mm-hmm. and cultures. When you guys made the decision to make it bilingual, um, who were you trying to reach? Who were you hoping would listen to it in Spanish? Well, the public in Spanish has always been our biggest challenge mm-hmm. because there we don't have a lot of podcasts in Spanish yet. This demographic is not consuming podcasts. But then you have second generation, third generation uh, of people who are, you know, they're the sons or the grandkids of immigrants and they speak English. Mm -hmm. So also in a way, I was hoping that if we get with the English version, the demographic that already speaks English, that they could then introduce to their parents or grandparents the version in Spanish and say, listen, this is actually a telenovela or a radio novella that we can all, you know, experience together. And there's a version for you. There's a version in Spanish and one in English. So your narrator for Celestial Blood was Kate Del Castillo, who who is an actress, a Mexican actress. She lives in the U.S. now, but she has uh, had a long career in telenovelas and her, her father was an actor in them. Why did you want her as a narrator for this? So we wanted to have one big star in the cast because, again, we are introducing a new medium to a population that doesn't know even what it is. So mm-hmm. we were trying to get as much attention as possible. And we wanted somebody who would have, like, a great name recognition. The narrator is a special character. She's not only a narrator, she's kind of a commentator. She's like the ears of the of the listener. She's making the comments that you want to make as a listener. You're like, oh, this is absurd. Uh, aside from the judgment about the mothers of his children, which is not nice, Arturo Lucero did try. And he did a good job for the most part. At least that's the case with the twins Mundo and Sol Lucero. The old man left, says. He left a long time ago. Okay, so maybe he didn't try very hard after all. But at least Sol and Mundo came to his funeral in this little town in Mexico, all the way from their home in Queens, New York. Have you caught the uh, the fiction podcast bug now after doing oh, this project? I did. I loved it. You know, it's such a great experience. I, I didn't imagine. I thought it could have been like a total disaster. <laughs> But I really loved it. And uh, again, I guess because of my passion for theater and storytelling, and and I'm a huge reader, so I feel like very comfortable um, doing stories for radio. But I am still a journalist, too, so I want to do both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you the best of luck with that. Lord knows, uh, you know, we could do with a few more um, Spanish language shows. Uh, Giselle Rigatao, creator of Celestial Blood, Sangre Celestial. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thank you so much. Gracias, Lauren. Giselle Regatao is the creator of Celestial Blood or Sangre Celestial in Spanish from our pals at KCRW. To get more info about the show, head over to BigListen.org. It's time for another lightning fast break, but when we come back, we're going to catch up with the real-life best pals behind NPR's Invisibilia. 
Whenever I'm puzzled about something, my face betrays puzzlement, but okay. she reads it as I'm saying that she's stupid. Even though, like, I never ever say that to her except when I say you're really stupid, which I do do every once in a while. That's coming up in a sec. Stick around. This is NPR. Hi, everyone. I'm Abby Holtzman, an intern here at The Big Listen. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a quiz show that'll make you laugh and think at the same time, check out Ask Me Another. Host Afira Eisenberg and house musician Jonathan Colton play nerdy games with real contestants and celebrity guests. How many quills are on the average porcupine? Have you heard Patrick Stewart give a dramatic reading of Taylor Swift lyrics? You can on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Check out Ask Me Another Now on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there. This is Dan Downs from Omaha, Nebraska, and I think you should be listening to Midnight Oil, which is an awesome show about the oil industry in Alaska and overall the origins of Alaska. They somehow found a way to make oil drilling sound really interesting. It's really hard to figure out where oil is, especially in the Arctic. When... When you do the geology of an area, you don't come up with something like, this is a dead cinch. I mean, if you do that, you're a fool. When Marshall's boss passed along his recommendation to select a remote chunk of tundra on the icy ocean, Alaska's first governor was not impressed. Governor Egan's uh, comment was, doesn't he know it's frozen? So go check it out. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and if you love any podcast as much as Dan from Omaha loves Midnight Oil, don't keep it a secret. Call up the pod line at 202-885-POD1. Our robots will happily take a message. All right, friends, it's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are into these days. And today we're checking in with Hannah Rosen and Elise Spiegel, co-hosts of Invisibilia. Elise is like a radio OG. Before working on NPR's Science Desk, she was an original producer on This American Life in the 90s. She reported stories on subjects like historical slavery reenactments. We are here to be abused, humiliated, degraded, verbally and physically punished. But before we get down to the business of being brutalized and reduced to nothing, we're briefed by a small woman in colonial dress who wants very much to impress upon us the serious nature of this program. Hannah, on the other hand, was a print journalist for years. She's perhaps best known for her provocative 2012 book called The End of Men, which landed her on the Colbert Report. The End of Men? Yes. Truly? Yes. Truly? Are we even needed anymore? You are needed. It's not all that bad. It's just that, you know... For our seed? Yeah, well, exactly. Someone has to stock the sperm banks. No, you're needed. You're needed. And you can look at this as a cry for helping men, let's say. It's just that... But now the besties are working together to try to uncover the invisible forces that shape human behavior. Season three of Invisibilia is out now, so we figured we'd check in with the pair. And we got off to a really great start. Thank you. (laughs) Hi. 
for having us. Me. Let's do it like this. I'll say thank you, and then you finish. For having us. That was good. Wow. That was good. It yeah. was like you didn't that plan it smooth. at all. Yeah. That was super spontaneous. That was. Um, so season three of Invisibilia season is three. out now. All the episodes are out. But it's a little different than seasons one and two because you're calling it a concept album. What is that? What's a concept album? First, define a concept album for people who maybe Weren't were born, born the 1970s. after the 70s. Okay, we'll do it. Like, if you're, if, you, if you're a boomer, then you have to think, like, Pink Floyd, The Who. If you're a millennial, maybe Lemonade. The Decemberists. And then if you're really young, then Lemonade. How about that? Then wow. Lemonade. People know Lemon- no, Lemonade. No, Lemonade is 100% album. a it's a concept album. Yeah, Absolutely. it's basically like it's threaded. There's either a musical or a actual theme threaded through the whole album or it tells a story. It's like all the tracks are connected. Right. Well, the real original well, no. question was where did the concept album come from? And essentially the answer to that is... The answer to that is that our showrunner has a father who's a rock producer, and we were lying, we were we were listing all our shows on the board, and we were like, "Holy moly, they're all basically working through a similar idea." So she was like, "That's a con- that's what a concept album does." And, and anyway, it's a concept album about concepts, because so it, it seemed extra nerdy. It's very yeah. meta. So yeah. they're all, all the shows in one way or another are about concepts and how they shape your experience. So the first one is about how concepts shape your experience of emotion. Hi. Is that Lisa? This is. Hi. Lisa Feldman Barrett is a psychology professor at Northeastern University. And her latest book, How Emotions Are Made, is an attempt to synthesize emotion research from a variety of fields, neuroscience, biology, anthropology, which makes it hard to summarize in a pithy way. But if I had to boil it down, here's how I'd do it. The way emotion works is the opposite of what you think. Emotions aren't reactions to the world. Emotions actually construct the world. When you were reporting out all these stories, um, did you find that there was an idea in the season that that really surprised you or that you had never thought of before or that sort of changed the way you you are now looking at things? That happens to be every season. I'm trying to think if I can actually... Well, I, mean, I think the very first one... I had a little, um, a little green Grand Prix and that's what we decided we were going to take. So got up, got everybody packed... A few miles away, Tommy was also loading himself into his rig. He was headed in the opposite direction from Amanda. He needed to get out west. Got up, nice day, sunny, warm, summertime. I mean, it was probably... The narrative story is about this bizarre accident in which a child was killed um, and in which the person in the other car uh, developed just a traumatic reaction to having been involved in this other child's death. Like, he just felt like a child killer, even though he really was not to blame. Like, in the facts of the legal case or the accident, nothing that happened was his fault. The car crashed into him. But he developed this idea that he was a child killer, and he could not get it out of his head. Um, so- and so even though he walked away without a scratch, he ends up suing the parents of the child who died um, for emotional distress. And winning. And wins. And wins. So it's also about <clears throat> how the legal system and the culture are differently thinking about emotional distress. That's not really a case that would have made sense 15 or 20 years ago in the law. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also about how we all think about emotions and their and place how, in the world. And how, the, and how, how real and uh, concrete they are. And, mm-hmm. and how the legal system is 
evolving to think about them mm-hmm. and, and whether that's correct. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many whoa, what moments. There, there were some other ones. The woman who um, who after surgery for epilepsy had an arm that basically like did its own thing. I mean, about the woman whose hand attacks her, that one's pretty awesome because Elise had this idea that she wanted to do something about implicit bias. So then you think one level below, what is implicit bias? Implicit bias are kind of thoughts and concepts in your head that you don't want there. They're doing things that you can't really control. It feels like science fiction, the idea that you have thoughts in your head that you don't want there that are making you behave and do things that you actually don't want and don't approve of. And so the alien hand, which is a real syndrome, is a kind of physical, literal manifestation of that science fiction horror idea. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Recently, Elise and I called up a woman named Karen Byrne. In her late 20s, Karen had gotten this very serious operation. The operation was to treat her epilepsy, which had gotten so bad that she was having near constant seizures. So her doctors put her to sleep, cut into her brain, and when she woke up, her speech was a little funny. But basically, Karen says, she was feeling fine. I had woken up. And I was sitting on the hospital bed, talking to my surgeon, and... And then all of a sudden, her left hand picked itself up, started moving towards her shirt, and delicately unbuttoning the buttons one by one while her surgeon was standing right there. My hand was taking my clothes off. Taking your clothes off? Yeah, my hand was taking my shirt off. And it is horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Every time the woman would go to smoke a cigarette, the other hand would like bat it out of her (laughs) her slapper. She would end up black and blue. I mean, it was crazy. It was like if somebody told me that, I would not believe it. But I believed it because it was coming out of your mouth. You know what's the funny thing about that interview, listening to myself in that interview? Mm -hmm. It's like the whole time, even though I knew what it was about and what she was about to tell you, I was like, your hand? (laughs) And then I, five minutes later, I'm like, what? Your hand? And she's like, yeah, I'm the alien hand lady. So, yeah, it was my hand. But I, like, keep being surprised every time she told I'm me. Sure, I'm sure she appreciates being called the alien hand lady. <laughs> the lady with alien hand syndrome. God. Thank you. Thank but you, you know what I mean? You can hear me yeah. being like, your own hand? And then five minutes later, Hannah's like, your own hand? Yes, Hannah, my own hand. Your own hand. Yeah, right across my face, right across my face. So, Hannah, you are also a host, a co-host, a founder of the of Slate's Double X podcast. And you guys always have these endorsements at the end. So maybe we could do a play on that. What are your podcast endorsements? Okay, mine is so easy this week. It's oh. just 100% ear hustle. I understand it's like <laughs> rising to or at the top of the charts, but I, I really had a profound experience listening to it. Ear hustling is prison slang for eavesdropping, listening in to something that may not be your business. And today we're going to hear about Sally's. It's a big deal in prison who your cellmate is, isn't it? Huge. Ask anyone around here and they'll have a lot to say about their cellies. We always wash our hands. Like, <laughs> wash your hands, man. Like, no, you can't get into my chips until you wash your That's hands. That's what we're calling yard talk. When we take a microphone and ask a bunch of guys questions about whatever topic we cover. We'll hear some more of that later. The feel of it, like when I, te- when I say prison story, you think like, 
you th- a, a certain genre or formula like immediately comes into your head, like mm-hmm. you're, you're expecting a certain drama. But the feel of it is nothing like that. It's just like a chatty kind of conversational show, which which kind of diverts into these really. But there's but there's this kind of inherent built in drama, uh, just because it's prison. It's just not like anything else I've ever heard. Yeah. I love it. Um, Elise. So I would say in the last week or so, I've been listening to the this. I'm a little behind the times on this, but um, the season of the startup podcast that is about um, the the founder of American Apparel. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that one? Dog Charney. Mm -hmm. Yes. He created an industry that didn't exist. This is an incredibly intelligent person. This is someone who's incredibly passionate about what they're doing. You get sucked up in it. Like, they clearly believe in what they're selling, and I now believe in it, too. He's a master manipulator. I think manipulating is taken as a negative word, but a manipulator is a Jedi. You're a Jedi if you can manipulate people. It's like, the sky is red. Yes, the sky. I'm kind of halfway through, and I think that it's really great mm-hmm. and beautifully done. And um, so that's kind of what I've been mm-hmm. living. Are you that's sc- the world I've been living. Screamed out by uh, by him. Am I screamed out are by him? Sc- there are moments. Well, I, I I did find myself like looking at pictures of him, looking at pictures of all of the pictures that he took questioning my value as a woman. Yeah, so I guess that means that I'm squeamish. And it's just, again, it's this it's this thing that, it, like, allows me into a world that I don't have access to. Right. And that's what I love about radio and mm-hmm. podcasts is when you completely can enter a world. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying that one. Well, thank you both for letting us into your world today. Our invisible world. Your invisible world of Invisibilia. Hannah Rosen and Elise Spiegel, co-hosts of Invisibilia from NPR. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. Oh, high fives. Yeah. High fives all we around. did it. Oh, yep. High oh, five. Good. We did it. Great job. Excellent work. And high fives to you too for listening. Hannah Rosen and Elise Spiegel are the hosts of Invisibilia from NPR. To find out more about their show or any of the shows they recommended, hit up biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we have almost reached the end of this week's episode. No, don't cry. Don't be sad. It's okay. But before we let you go, it's time for... C-H-A-R-T-O-G-R-A-T-H-Y. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts, but we are not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289, and yes, that seems like it's a high number, but when you think that there are tens of thousands of podcasts out there, it's pretty great. Okay, so this week's 289 is called Meat Eater. Get ready. And it is hosted by a man named Stephen Ranella. Oh, yeah. He apparently is also an outdoorsman and a writer known for translating the hunting lifestyle to a wide variety of audiences. I feel like you told me this before. He had a guest on uh, on this particular episode I listened to named Dan Flores, who apparently is a historian at the University of Montana. And they were talking about America's oldest mine, which apparently is a turquoise mine. Watch this segue. And then they talked about how the Aztecs and the Pueblos would trade turquoise and macaws. They were trading luxury goods. I don't know what this has to do with hunting. Oh, wait. No, I do know what it has to do with hunting. I don't doubt it. So apparently, Stephen Ranella recently went to South America to hunt macaws. Sounds like... 
like a diseased, dying pterodactyl. So I learned that it is very hard to hunt these little birds. Actually, they're not little at all, but they're being hunted for their feathers. Brilliant plumage. Also, another thing I learned is that the eyed needle was a very important invention and shout out to women because apparently women invented it and that's how we have clothes. So thanks, ladies. I mean, we're basically semi-equatorial apes. There was very little conversation about actually eating meat or hunting. Yet. If you do look up Stephen Ronella on the internet, you will see that every single picture he's wearing camo and stuffing some kind of flesh into his mouth. That's right. So if hunting uh, and history are for you, yeah. then um, get Stephen Ronella's Meat Eater podcast in your crosshairs. <laughs> Just had to. Sorry. Want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we'll be sneaking into your feed every week automatically. You don't have to do a thing. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R Big Listen. We are more fun than a meeting between Don Jr., a music producer, and a Russian attorney. I promise you that. If you want to send us love notes, we are currently accepting them at biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced by Jacob Fenston, Daisy Rosario, and Ponzi Rutch. I, Lauren Obert, was literally on vacation. Literally. I was covered in 60 SPF. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army Navy, the band, not the store. Special thanks to Jake Cherry, Timmy Olmsted, and Al Reynolds for giving us a boost. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Martin Johnson and Anton Berg, the investigative reporters behind the Swedish crime podcast Spur. Their reporting helped get an innocent man, Kailina, out of prison after 13 years behind bars. The one who, who set him free was not the legal system. They was done with Mr. Lena. Uh, it took some, some journalists to do this. It, it almost always do. And they say that telling the story in podcast form over many episodes had a big impact. The details of the case were able to breathe and their investigation could be more thorough. If you hang around with me and Anton for all these hours, you suddenly understand, um, you understand what actually happened in, in a different way than you ever could in, in news reporting, in the newspapers, because then you get an article once and then another year you get another article, but you have no idea what happened, what, what has that really happened. And, you, and especially you can't hear the voices. And if you can hear the voices of the witnesses uh, or, uh, or Kailina or the people around them, then suddenly... You get a more closer emotional attachment to to the story as well. So I I think that that's one of the most crucial things that we've done. Sometimes being able to really hear something makes all the difference. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR. NPR.